I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Sean McGuigan. As, as you can possibly ascertain already, we are not joined by Craig G. Telfer. He has been double booked with uh, winter making way for spring. He is being waxed and this is the only time slot that was available. However, thankfully we are joined by somebody who is recently described on Pine Bovril as having a lovely voice for podcasts. It is Fraser Clark. Fraser, how are you? I, uh, I am very well, and thank you for the lovely introduction of people praising my voice, which is always a nice wee ego boost, because I've always always been told right through uni, oh, you've got a lovely voice for radio, which I imagine is a way of saying you don't have the face for television. I mean, you obviously do have the face for television, so you can perhaps tell me. I, I, I'm not entirely sure about that, Fraser. I, I don't think you, you don't have the, the, the face for television, but the, what I would say uh, about Pine Bovril is you are somebody who... I was going to say prolific, but you're certainly a regular poster on Pine Bovril. And I was actually thinking about this. I don't know if I've ever seen you exchange crosswords on Pine Bovril or get in some kind of heated debate. Generally speaking, you have uh, you, you post a lot, but people seem to respect what you post. And, and fair play for that. I'm also terrible at being angry and terrible at confrontation, so I just tend to avoid it. It's like something I've got from my dad. So my dad coached my football team when I was growing up and like really, really nice guy, can't do confrontation. So whenever I saw him getting a wee bit kind of angry with a ref or angry with somebody, it was just really embarrassing. And I think that's rubbed off on me. I just, I, I just avoid confrontation. I'm too nice to confrontate with people. Yeah, but to be fair, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily go out my way to, to, to get confrontation. But the last time I had any interactions whatsoever on Pine Bovril, I, I was told to get stuffed, which, uh, which, which maybe... Maybe it shows you how much uh, respect you generate online compared to me. So fair play to you. 
maybe it's that treat people like you like to be treated and, and maybe you've not done that or maybe you've said something that, that somebody's held against you for a long period of time that's the problem like with me coming out here I go I you know finish podcasting and obviously done a couple over the last few weeks and then I lie in bed and I think I wonder what I said there that somebody's going to pull me up on and get really upset about and and it's not happened so it's going to happen this week I'm going to come out with some really hot takes and people will abuse me online Let, let's see if that does happen uh, so in, in terms of in terms of this week's podcast uh, we are not going with the, the patented uh, three game format again that is patented Craig Fowler has uh, Craig Telford rather has uh, mentioned us a few times and as much as he isn't here as soon as his red raw areas are, are feeling better he will scour the internet to see if anybody else is is abusing our, our, our three game patented format what we will do is is discuss one game I'll give you three guesses what game that is and use it as a jump off point to discuss those teams and then a bit of a grab bag we will go through uh, all three lower leagues I suppose there is a bit of a there's a bit of a theme in terms of maybe new managers and managers that are that are doing very well not necessarily in, the, in that first game that we're about to discuss uh, but that's probably the, the recurring theme and then if we have enough time we will talk about the relegation aspect of League 2 However, Fraser, will we make a start? Yeah, and it's funny, this this first game that we're going to talk about, as soon as I saw the scoreline on Saturday afternoon, and I knew that I was doing this podcast, I was like, right, I need to watch the highlights for that and write some notes down, because that's going to be the first thing that we talk about. In fairness, Dunfermline Athletic nil, Morton 5 is the most astonishing scoreline from uh, from all four divisions at the weekend. What did you What did you make of it? It, that the highlights were quite harrowing if you're a Dunfermline fan, which thankfully I'm not, so that's fine. And actually, it comes at a good time because I I wanted to talk about Morton and I'd been kind of kicking myself for not talking about mm-hmm. them because they've gone under the radar a wee bit this season for how good they've been. So I thought, I'll take down some notes and I'll kind of pay attention to what Morton are doing well so that we're not just giving Dunfermline a kicking and then I'll hand over to you and you can give Dunfermline a kicking. <laughs> and that works for both of us. I am but, quite happy, quite happy with that. But the so the aspect if we're touching on Morton doing well and I was kind of thinking of how I would sum up Morton you know that guy or I think there's been a few from England who are bringing up the XL bullies to Scotland because there wasn't the ban yes just all these kind of dangerous dogs that nobody loves being brought up that's kind of how I feel about this Morton team like it's all these kind of guys who are maybe a wee bit unloved at previous clubs quite quite big guys in general like if you were to play against Morton you'd probably be quite bruised by the end of it I would imagine yeah. Dunfermline certainly were quite bruised but I imagine that there's probably not not a more unpleasant team to play against a sort of crazy gang mentality but Doogie Emery is basically that guy taking all these unloved XL bully footballers to Capolo and then turning them into the most loving pets imaginable who are doing a terrific job on the pitch so that he's I think their run of form is something like their best run of form since the 80s or 90s at their own I believe moment. so yeah which is incredible and it's going very much under the radar and nobody nobody much seems to be talking about Morton. So obviously from watching the highlights, a lot of the goals, if you are a, a critic of defending or if you want to pick holes in Morton's performance, you'll say that every one of the goals is probably avoidable from a Dunfermline point of view. And They, they get a- worse. I, I, I think yes. they, they state from, a, from a, a Dunfermline defensive perspective, I think they get steadily worse as the as the five goals proceed. Yeah, and you look at the first goal and you think, well, that's, that's not a great goal to lose. They're going to get a wee bit kind of iffy. And then, like you say, it just progressively gets worse and worse as it goes on. And I think I was looking through the sort of teams because there was a few guys obviously in the Dunfermline team who I think were making their first appearances or, or quite early appearances who looked 
incredibly poor. I said I wouldn't give them too much of a kicking, but you watch those highlights and it was the guy whose name I have written down in front of me, but I can't read my own writing. Uh, I think he's, is he on loan from Cardiff City? Is it? So they have, so they have, uh, a, 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 I think it's Xavier Benjamin he, and Malachi Fagan Walcott made up two of their back three who are both on loan from Cardiff, I believe. Yeah, so because I had an X and I was like, is that an X or a T? And then I couldn't read the rest <laughs> of it. And I was like, Tre- Trevor Benjamin, who's this? Uh, who looked like incredibly bad in the highlights, incredibly bad. But one of the re- ways in which they looked so bad, I thought, was that they were just bullied by Morton. They were just yeah. thrown about. They looked like youth yep. team players who'd mm-hmm. been dropped in at that deep end and just couldn't deal with the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Morton team, like, if you're, a, if you're a 19-year-old Premier League 2 defender, whatever league Cardiff are in, at that sort of under 20s age group, you're coming up against George Oakley and Robbie Muirhead. Mm-hmm. Like, they're probably going to throw you about a wee bit. And yeah. that did look to be the case that they just were bullied. Robbie Muirhead is probably one of the most interesting players in the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'm, I'm utterly fascinated by Robbie Muirhead and his career and everything about him because every time you see him, you think this guy has the potential to be a, a regular Premier League player but you also wouldn't have been surprised if he was kicking about in the juniors or kicking about with East Kilbride in a few years. And I was looking at it because I remember when he came in at Morton, he, he didn't score goals for like a very long time. And in his first two and a half seasons, which was, I think, COVID affected, he got 10 goals. Um, in his next two and a half seasons, he's got 31. Mm-hmm. Like that speaks volumes. And he's kind of indicative of what Dougie Emery's done, where he's taken these guys who maybe have something about them, even if it's just the raw physicality, and made them into like really, really effective championship players. And you kind of look at them and think, I don't know what other manager in this division would get this amount out of this squad of players. Yeah, no, no, totally. And like we were very positive about Duke Emery last season and the fact that he was able to get so much out of players who had kind of been disregarded either by other clubs at this level or, or maybe even by us. Like maybe we were a, a, a wee bit quick to, to disregard them. But regardless, he gets an extra 5-10% out of players. And even at the start of this season, so after maybe seven or eight games, I, I thought Morton were in big trouble. I, I, I genuinely did. I, I wasn't sure that their uh, recruitment policy over the over the summer was particularly good. Like, Kurt Broadfoot didn't hit the ground running. Alan Power looked like he was at the, the kind of end of his career. Stephen Boyd, for example, I, I, I generally like criticise Stephen Boyd every single summer when he when he when he signs for teams. However, again, they have kicked on since then. And suddenly, like, I know Cut Broadfoot didn't play against the but again, if if he, if they were to call on him, he now looks like like he's absolutely fine. Alan Power had had, had an excellent game, and I do think, in, in terms of what you've suggested, in terms of the the backline. That, that Dunfermline had. So, Xavier Benjamin and Malachi Fagan Walcott both started in, in, in a back three. This might be the, the worst possible team that they could conceivably fa- uh, face. And I know that, that Morton fans bristle against this suggestion that they're a physical team. But, and, and maybe some people suggest it as a negative. I, I, like I don't like, I'm jealous of the fact that they are able to kind of mix it up whereas like my team Wraith Rovers aren't able to do that so in terms of I don't think they're a dirty team but I think they're physical and that they're a hard team 
Like, yeah. like if that makes sense. So they can bully centre halves. You saw that in the highlights. But the, I mean, they, they were they were so much better than Duffermann. Uh, but in terms of, see, in terms of slowing the game down and game management, I, I think Morton are excellent at it. See if see if they are playing against a team that has a throw-in, they'll kick the ball away. If they are playing against a team that has a, a free kick, they'll stand in front of it. They, they slow the game down and their game management is absolutely exceptional. And again, I think it all comes down to Duke Emney because I, I think if you look at that Morton squad, I don't necessarily see it as talent-wise, and, and I'm not trying to slag them off, I, I don't necessarily see it as one of the better squads in, in the championship, but he has them playing greater than the sum of their parts and, and, and fair play to them because I'd I kind of written them off maybe in September but here we are we're now in February they're fourth place and it would be it'll be difficult for anybody to, to dislodge them from the, the playoff positions I think there's sort of two things as well so the first thing is having that sticky spell at the start of the season and then turning it around like that's the making or breaking of a manager every manager yep. will go through that really dodgy spell maybe especially after the summer right he's brought in new players it's not working like that's where a lot of managers will fail they won't be able to turn it around and you'd say you know he's been there a wee while now that if that had been the end of his time you'd be like yep he's done a decent job but then you move on the fact he's been able to turn that around is is huge and that reflects so so well on Dougie Emery the second thing I suppose you'd have to say and again like I hope Martin fans don't take me saying that they bullied Dunfermline or whatever is a bad thing and or anything like that please don't come for me in Pine Bovril everyone's nice to me remember but Morton don't have one of the bigger budgets in the league I wouldn't imagine so their option if they want to get into the playoffs they're not going to go out and be able to sign the 14 best players or the 14 second best players or probably even four of the best players in the league in certain positions so they need to find another way of doing it and that other way of doing it is like you say managing games well is playing to your strengths and your physicality. It's getting the most out of the players you bring in who maybe other clubs have overlooked. So, you know, you've got Robbie Muirhead, was at Dundee United? Overlooked there, didn't obviously work out. That's fine. No other club, he didn't have a good time at Dunfermline. No other club really would have taken a punt probably in the championship. They've looked at him, they've given him time and then they've built him back up. George Oakley was obviously let go by Inverness, being built back up into being as good a player as he is now and a very effective player at that level. So they're absolutely maximising what they've got there and taking advantage of clubs round about them who maybe have greater budgets, more talented players, but who aren't performing to the best of their abilities. So I'm, I think it's like a huge, huge credit to Duke Emery. And this season, like surely they're, this is not going to go down well with Morton fans, surely there have to be bigger clubs who are starting to take a wee look at Duke Emery and going, what more can he do at Morton before somebody in the, you know, I don't know, bottom six in the Premiership takes a punt because he's got to be worth it. Well, I mean, you're right in terms of uh, Morton fans wouldn't wouldn't like to hear that, but by the same token, any club that is in the Championship and even bottom six in the Premiership, if you have a, a, a manager who's performing very, very well, then you become a target for, for clubs who are, are bigger and have bigger budgets. And yes, you're right, I would, I would presume... Duke Emery is maybe on a short list for for clubs that might be looking to jettison their manager at some point uh, in the future because ultimately that's it's now the second season but Duke Emery is, is, is really impressed so yes fair play and 
I, how, do you, how do you think Morton's season is going to progress? So they're, they're fourth in the league now. Airdrie are just behind them. Four points, but with a game in hand. Like, do you think they'll make the? Do you think they'll make the playoffs? Like, did did they genuinely have a chance of of getting promoted? I think they'll make the playoffs. The only thing that's saying that they might end up getting promoted is that kind of Livingston connection, and that they do remind me a wee bit of that Livingston team that went up, where it was just a, it was maybe not the the best or second best team in the league at the time, but they were just a really solid squad, a really well organised team to play against. So they do have kind of shades of that and the sort of crazy gang feel about them like that Livingston team that went up and there was just a really, it was like you wouldn't like going to what, uh, going to Livingston away, going to the Tony Macaroni or whatever it was called back then. Probably teams don't look forward to going to Capolo now and I think that's something they can use massively in their favourite. Well, obviously last week Billy Dodd certainly didn't enjoy going to Capolo during the COVID season, but <laughs> so maybe teams don't enjoy it anyway, but then use that in your advantage. I, I think going up would be too big a stretch for them. I hope somebody can clip this and put it up at the end of the season because I would love to see Morton in the Premiership. I think that would just be just be great. Just be and also Renfrewshire Derby's in the Premiership. Like that's a derby where there's a lot that of is hatred. Good. That would be good. It's one of my one of my favourite derbies. I think because it's not played all that often. I know they play the kind of pre-season ones fairly regularly, but like actual league games, you don't get them all that often. There's a real strong dislike there. Yeah, that's that's a good derby. That'd be a nice derby to have in the Premiership. I I would love to see them go up. I think that at the moment. Right now, with things as they are and their squad as it is and avoiding any kind of major injuries or anything like that, I don't see any reason why they can't finish top four, certainly. And if they finish top four, I think it'll be a stretch to get over the line into the Premiership. But you know how playoffs work. And if you go in with momentum, that's kind of all you need. I mean, how many times has a team, not necessarily the Premiership playoff, but how many times has a team won a, a lower league playoff where they've not been the best or second best team in the league but they've gone in on a good run of games, bit of confidence, mm-hmm. and they're maybe playing teams whose confidence isn't quite as high, or maybe a team who are thinking, oh, we've missed out in the league title, like we're a wee bit on a downer now, like Dumbarton in last season's playoffs. It's a wee bit of a downer. And then Morton are just, well, we're happy to be here and we're going to back ourselves to go and, you know, go and give you a bit of a bruising time with our team of XL bullies. And what about, what about Dove Fairman? Because for me, I... I t- you can sometimes watch a, a, a game and, and maybe it finishes a, a bit of a whitewash. Maybe it's 4-0 or 3-0 or whatever. You say, oh, well, it wasn't a 4-0 game. It wasn't a 3-0 game. However, this very much felt like a, a, a 5-0 game. Like, it, it could have been more. This was a... In terms of championship performances, I'm thinking about maybe Ardbroath versus Dungeon United at the start of the season. Like a very first game on the Friday night. Like yep. that, was, that was dreadful. Uh, they then lost even more at, at, at Tannadice. Again, that was a, a dreadful performance. I, I, I really do think that this game was up there in terms of poor performances in the, in the championship this season. What do you, what do you make of Dunfermline under James Peak? I think this, I suppose pound for pound, this probably is the worst performance in the championship yep. this season because mm-hmm. you look at the Arbroath ones, you think, right, well, they're part-time They've certainly had a kind of smaller squad. Both games, I think, against Dundee United, they had like the quite heavy defeats. They were both Friday nights, so they were both midweeks. Yeah. So they've got the kind of part-time aspect there. Like for Dunfermline at home to be getting trounced like that by Morton, when you would imagine Dunfermline might have a slightly bigger budget, they've certainly got a bigger support. You would imagine they might have a slightly bigger budget is pound for pound the worst result of the season, I think. In terms of Dunfermline, it feels like feels like there are issues from last season that maybe you can get away with in League One are being mm-hmm. pretty brutally exposed. And I, I'm also 
So James McPake kind of strikes me as one of these managers who maybe has a shelf life, you know, where, like we were talking about with Dougie Emery, but in reverse, where he'll maybe get results for a bit, starts to go a wee bit stale, he needs to be turning it around and, and he isn't capable of doing that. And it's just, it's just going to fizzle out or it's going to get worse and worse and worse. You look at, well, the first thing I guess that, and he wasn't solely at fault, but Dennis Mehmet, is, is, he, is he good enough to be a Dunfermline goalkeeper in the championship? Because I'm really not convinced. And I know he got a lot of clean sheets last season, but that was Dunfermline in League One. And that was a team like romping to the title with very solid defenders ahead of him. Suddenly when he's in there, he's more experienced than the, the sort of younger guys that they've got in defence. Mm, not, not convinced. He didn't cover himself in glory, certainly for the fifth goal, with the kind of pathetic throwout that was then intercepted and then Garrity kind of deflected it. And everyone knew where he was trying to put the shot and just nobody did anything about it, sort of bobbles in at the far corner. But I wonder if he's just indicative of problems maybe across the board, like they're not scoring enough goals because they've maybe got strikers who are very effective in League One, mm-hmm. could maybe do a job to keep you up at a stretch in the championship, but anything more than that. And if you're a Pars fan, you're probably going to be, you know, finishing eighth in the league isn't really what you got promoted to do. You're maybe looking at that and going, mm, need a wee bit more quality up front. Maybe need a, to be honest, just all across the pitch, need a wee bit more quality. And they don't have a manager like Dougie Emery. Not that I'm trying to bum him up something awful on this podcast, but they don't have a manager who's maybe capable of getting that extra 10% out of a player that they don't even know they've got. So I just felt like that was everything probably that Dunfermline fans have maybe been fearing for the last wee while just got brutally exposed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, so McPake, for me, this was a season where McPake could absolutely have done away with the my my theory that he's a bit of an Alan Johnson in terms of getting teams out of a division that they maybe don't expect to be in, but then struggles to to kind of compensate when they get into the the the, the league above, I suppose, and. I'm still not entirely certain that I can write him off from that because of such a terrible injury record. I, I, I totally appreciate that. However, see, like based on based on Saturday, based on that five 0 defeat to, to to Morton, like last season, and, and again, I, I, I kind of raise this as a concern about McPeak. The film would start games against part time teams, and it wouldn't go particularly well. And we get to half time, and it would be. Uh, one nil down, or done maybe no no, and then 
he he would sort things. He would he would make a a, a a change to the formation, or he would make a substitution, and then the film would 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 kind of sort things in the in in, in the second period. And I, I did suggest last season that the film wouldn't get away with that this season. But the weird thing is, it doesn't feel like he's done that this season. Like it almost feels like he is steadfast in his belief that a back three is how he wants to go and that they want to play football out from the back. And I get that their, their injury issues means that he probably has fewer levers to pull at halftime or in the second half or whatever. But regardless, it kind of felt like his what he wanted to impart onto the game on Saturday was making things worse in terms of playing out for the back. So Denise Mehmet has dreadful di- distribution. Absolutely. Like, so, so playing football from the back becomes infinitely more difficult when, when you have that issue. You have two centre-halves that have barely been there five minutes, but you're playing a back three. Again, you want them to play football. That didn't really work. They were absolutely bullied by, by Morton. But he didn't really make any attempts to change it. And I know I know it probably doesn't really mean anything. But the kind of optics of him not not being out with the, the kind of dugout and not not kind of ordering people about and not shouting and like he was just in the dugout for the entire game. Like that optic wise, that, that doesn't look great. And it probably doesn't amount to a whole hill of beans. However, I Everything can change in the championship in the, the course of a couple of weeks. So they have Queen's Park and Arbroath coming up in the next couple of weeks. They could win both those games and suddenly you're saying, well done, James McPake. You've navigated a, a taken terrible injury period. You're not that far away for a top four, fair play. However, I, I can understand the family fans that are very, very annoyed at his approach uh, this season. And... Yes, the, the the injury the, the injury issues they've had is is has affected them. However, it kind of feels like the filming as a as a as a team are kind of cutting back this season. Like see in terms of the, the recruitment, they've brought in about nine players in terms of loan players and permanent signings. Almost all of them have been twenty two and under, and even the ones that are that have a wee bit of experience. Michael O'Halloran, poor season at Cove last season. I wouldn't have been bringing him in. And up front, my goodness, who's they bringing up front? Bear with me. That's how big an impact he's made. That he's, whoever it is, it's just not coming to your head because he's made absolutely zilch impact. <laughs> they also had David Watherspoon training with them for a very long time, but didn't sign him. Well, do you know something? So that's, again, that kind of sums the feeling up this season. So Alex Jakubiak is exactly yeah. who I was thinking of. Again, somebody who is probably better in theory than he is in practice. But in terms of in terms of the club, I, I, I know there was a theory that there was a, a, a huge disparity between what Wotherspoon was looking for and what Dunfermline could provide. However, I'm struggling to believe that Inverness, a team who Partly can only survive if they build a battery farm. Was able to provide something for David Wallace for him to come up there compared to Dunfermline. There, there is something wrong at this moment in time 
with their family. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but they they don't seem to be a, a, a club that is that is moving forward. That, that feels like they are they're moving backwards at this moment in time. It's funny because when clubs get promoted, you either get a club that will come up and then they'll just carry that momentum and they'll almost steamroller into the next division and they'll maybe have a really good first season and then maybe it'll start to drop off and they'll find their natural level again. But with then you get clubs who come up and I don't know if it's like it's taken them by surprise that they've gone up or it's like, oh, we've gone up. Is that the going rate for a player in this level? It shouldn't really be the case for Dunfermline because by stature they have been a championship club or a premiership club for a well, with the exception of that kind of dreadful period with administration and John Potter and everything for a very long time. But it feels like they've gone up and they've not carried any momentum and they've not carried any good feeling into it. And they've tried to do it maybe on the cheap. I don't know if they've, if this season, if it's like, right, this season's about consolidation and then next season, we'll, you know, we'll put a wee bit of money aside and then we'll look to really build next season. But the championship this year, certainly the playoff places are there for the taking. Like, it's not like you've got four incredibly strong teams who you look at on paper like the old days of the Rangers, Hearts, Hibs one where you're like, well, that's three out of the four places taken like you've not got that in the championship this season so I, I find that a really weird technique to take and if you've gone up and you've got that good feeling like you beat Falkirk to the title, you trounced Falkirk to the title in the end, like that's going to give everyone a really good feeling about the place because there was a title race, you weren't just you know, beating their kind of run of the mill part time League One teams. There was a wee bit of animosity there. There was like sellout games at East End Park and the Falkirk Stadium. Take that good feeling. Make a couple of decent additions in the summer because everyone knew where Dunfermline were weak. Like if we can see it, then there's going to be far smarter, far more important people at Dunfermline who can see it. Make the right additions and just keep that good feeling going and see if you can get into the playoffs this year almost off momentum rather than anything else. But it's almost like they've gone up and they're like, well, we're, we're just happy to be here. We'll just just see how long we can kind of wait it out. And that shouldn't be the case for a club of Dunfermline's size, I wouldn't think. Like their fan base, I can't imagine being overly accepting of that. Like if they go up and they say, right, our aim's to finish eighth, Dunfermline fans, I don't, don't think they'd be very into that idea. Other clubs, if they go up and they say, look, we're looking to finish eighth, consolidate, stay in the league, fan base would be like, yep, that's absolutely understandable. But Dunfermline, hmm. But that's kind of what their business suggests. It's, uh, it's very unusual for a team to win League One and then struggle the next season in, in the championship. And again, you're, you're absolutely right. Like Dunfermline, I think, are a big championship team. Like they have a lot of season ticket holders. They, they, they have big crowds. And yet somehow it, it just feels like they are, they're, I, I don't know, they're, they're cutting back. But the fact that they, they absolutely need the experience, either in the, the, the summer window or the, the January window, experience costs money. And it feels like they they haven't went down that route. And uh, less so in the January window, but I kind of got the impression that, that James McPake was very frustrated in the, in the summer window about, about recruitment. So, so again, as much as I, I think, I, I thought this season was a, a, a good way to, to judge James McPake about how good uh, a manager he is, Again, I'm not sure because they have such a terrible uh, injury record and again, it feels like he has kind of one hand tied behind his back. But, but we'll see. I like. How do you think they're going to go in this season? I, I mean, they should be fine. Mm. But that, that performance suggests that they might not be. I, I think our growth don't look very good. Let's you know, be quite honest about that at the moment. I, I, I suppose if you, if you want, like, our both have an equally bad 
injury record as Dunfermline. So again, they'll have players coming back, so maybe they can maybe they can improve in the last kind of, I don't know, whatever, third of the season. Have you noticed as well though, and it it's maybe a two-way thing that see when clubs are struggling, players drop out more. See if a club's winning every week, you don't seem to get hit with the same injury problem. So I don't know how much of that ends up going in circles, you know, where players are like, well, I'm going to be playing every week, my knee's flipping agony, but I'll play every week to get through it because I'm not losing my place in this side. And then if you're maybe, lo- you've lost six games in the spin, you're getting stuck from the fans, you're just like, ah, it's the knee flaring up, like, that'll be me, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll just call it, a, call it a day for the next six weeks and just wait till the nice kind of spring weather comes round. So I do wonder how much those things are linked. You look at Queen's Park, like you'd expect Queen's Park to improve now, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> he says, sounding kind of cautiously optimistic, if Queen's Park improve, that's bad, bad news for Dunfermline. If our growth improve, that's bad news for Dunfermline. And there just feels like there's a bit of a, a bit of a malaise around Dunfermline. Queen's Park maybe do have a bit of a new manager bounce. Our growth, our growth's funny because you feel like the fans are, are kind of pissed off with how this season's gone and how last season's gone. But there's also still just that wee bit of magic about our growth and just that wee bit of a buzz that they're not going to be getting on their team's back probably in the same way as Dunfermline fans will if things get tough. Queen's Park fans won't. I think Dunfermline will stay up, but having watched that on Saturday, I don't really know why I think that. Fraser, I, I hope you're totally wrong. I, I hope they get relegated, and I think it's a possibility. Uh, well, listen, moving on from uh, both Morton and Dunfermline, let's stay in the Championship, however, uh, and let's go to Airdrie. So I, I've had a wee bit of a bodying online when it comes to Airdrie this season. I said in the preview podcast that they would struggle to stay up. My uh, opinion was based on the fact that they conceded hundreds of goals, not literally, uh, in, in League One and didn't really, it felt like it didn't really recruit in the summer in terms of, I don't know, augmenting that squad. However, I think in terms of I don't know, getting more out of their squad than, than you would expect. I think Airdrie have been absolutely excellent this season. So last game, I, w- I watched them in. They defeated Wraith Rovers in the semi-finals of the SPFL uh, Challenge Trophy. They will now play uh, TNS from Wales slash England. Uh, I believe it's at the Falkett Stadium in March. But Fraser, what have you made of uh, Airdrie and Reese McCabe this season? I, I'm like you. I, I thought they did a thing where they seemed to sign a lot of players who were very, very young, who maybe had a decent calibre to them, but I had no all, idea all who they were. Yeah. So, 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 so literally all of the players this season, I had a wee look, uh, I, I think all of the players, with the exception of Nikolai Todorov, has been 20 or below. And a number of them, maybe not all of them, but a number of them have come from the, is it the Concilium Football Agency, which is something to do with Jackie McNamara. And again, like, like there's loads of things with, with Airdrie that, that doesn't necessarily add up and you would think, right, well, if you're signing almost all of your players that are teenagers and coming from the same football agency that Jack and Manamara runs, it, it feels like you're doing yourself a disservice. However, it seems to be working. And whether that's to do with the, the quality of the players or whether that's to do with the quality of uh, Reese McCabe's uh, management, I'm not entirely sure. But fair play to them. They've, they've, they've done an incredible job this season. Yeah, and I think McCabe's so impressive. I mean, I remember, so when he came in to Airdrie uh, under Ian Murray, it would have been the season sons were relegated. And I kind of thought, oh, Reese McCabe, he was, was kind of, he was all right at Dunfermline. Like, I remember seeing him playing against us and I thought he looked like quite a nice player. But 
didn't really, you know, I didn't look at that and think, oh, they've signed Reese McCabe, that's a game changer. And then uh, Murray played him at centre half against us. And I'm like, Reese McCabe at centre, and he was the best player on the pitch. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this guy, it wasn't just the way he was using the ball, like his quality on the ball was phenomenal. It was just the way he was talking to people around him. And I thought, what age is he? Because I'm sure he's not that much older than me. I think he was, I think he's 31, 32 now. And I remember looking at him and thinking, you play like somebody who is a lot older than you are, but you've still got the physical attributes of someone who's younger. And that's kind of what he's doing as a manager. Like, he has been superb for Airdrie. He's managing the team, by and large, like someone who has a lot more experience, a lot more experience, particularly working with young players. But then he's still got the ability to kind of pull on the boots and go out and make a difference on the pitch as well. And that's so, so difficult for a player manager to combine both, especially when I think Callum Fordyce is his cousin or something, isn't he? So you've got your manager and your assistant manager both playing and managing the team and doing an exceptional job of it. I think that's so impressive. And he, to go one better than Ian Murray in terms of getting Airdrie up, was a very, very big achievement, especially because there was times where you watched his post-match and he was doing it with, oh, it's uh, Brian from Airdrie TV, who I did a commentary with a few years ago uh, on the game Suns lost and finished with eight men. And uh, we should do a, a guest podcast where it's just that game and watching the highlights. But I was watching an interview, I think it was last season after a defeat, there might be the start of this season or last season, where he was just very short with Brian and his answers. He was like, you know, Reese, you're taking that. He was just like, wasn't good enough. That was it. Solly gave. And I thought, oh, maybe he's, maybe he's not going to be very good at man management or something. You know, he's just going to be, the, the pressure gets to him and he just can't handle it. But that doesn't seem to be an issue. Like, he seems to be managing this group of young players superbly. The fact that he's still, what, 30, like, what did I say, 32, 31, something I, like that? I, I think he's maybe like, 30, 31. Yeah. So, like, he's incredibly young for a manager. But to be managing at this level with an Airdrie team that it's not been bankrolled by the looks of it, I don't doubt they'll have players on good money, but they're not making signings that are making you go, you know, like when Cove brought in Mark Reynolds or something like that. They're not bringing in really any players you look at and go, yeah. right, fair bit of experience, fair bit of money there. Not really. Like to be developing these young players, to be doing it in kind of his own style, kind of his own image that he's building a team there. I, I think he's he's done a phenomenal job. And it's 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 strange to say it but I, I really I really like seeing Airdrie do well under him I really like seeing Airdrie do well that's like a thing that opposition fans don't really say but I've just got so much admiration for him because I think he's doing a great job and I, I love the way they're doing it with these young players that I've no idea who half of them are they come in and within five games you look at them and go oh hang on like how have they found another one where, where are they getting these guys Jackie McNamara's phone book is just full of extremely talented teenagers I, I, it's remarkable. Like I went back, uh, just out of interest, I went back like 12 months. So after 21 games of last season, Airdrie were fifth in, in League One. Only uh, three teams had conceded more goals, and that was uh, Clyde, Peterhead, and Queen of South. And, and we, we spoke about Airdrie often last season. And the thing that I, I think everybody felt would, would hold them back was their... Yes, they were exciting to watch, absolutely. But it felt like there was a, a naivety about them as well in terms of how much they wanted to, to, to attack teams. The, the Edinburgh game uh, was, the, was the ultimate and, and obviously Reese McKay was interviewed afterwards and he said that he, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he basically said that he, that was, his style of, that was his style of play and he wouldn't kind of change on that. And you're like, right, well, 
that may ultimately come back to haunt you. But you go forward 12 months, they're now fifth in the championship. They are four points behind Morton, they have a game in hand. Only Dungeon United have conceded fewer goals. So see, in terms of Reese McCabe's claims that he wouldn't change how he, how he plays, that, that's, that's not the case at all. They've went from being the, the most kind of gung-ho, entertaining team in, in League One to being a, a good team. I, I, I don't think they're a, they're a dull team to, to watch in the Championship. But defensively, they're, they're so good. And like, I know I said that I, I, I thought they would struggle at, at the start of the season, but that was based on the fact that they conceded so many goals and they barely brought anybody in to, to augment that squad. So I thought, right, well, they're going to concede more than the 51 that they conceded in League One. They're not going to score 80-odd goals in, in the Championship, and to be fair, that, that, that has turned out to be the case. But, like, I, I watched them on Friday night. They, they are an, an infuriating team to watch from a Wraith Rovers perspective, I suppose. Totally been biased. But they are so well drilled. They are so organised. There are players throughout that team that a lot of people, myself included, didn't think were necessarily at, at championship level. However, like they're so like, did I think like Callum Fordyce and, and, and Craig Watson were necessarily going to be some of the, the, the standout defenders in the championship? I, I, I didn't. And even, even, even the fact that they have had like points in the season where some of the better players have been uh, unavailable. So like Murray Aitken at the start of the season uh, in the middle of the park was excellent. He got injured. Doesn't matter. Cammy Ballantyne at fullback got injured. Doesn't matter. They've coped with that. Megwa has went back to Hibs. Like he's been excellent this season. Doesn't matter. It, it just feels like they are seamlessly other players can slot in when important players miss out. But again, I think that comes down to how well drilled and how coached they are under under McCabe's uh, influence. I've been honestly so impressed by them. Well, that's the thing as well. If you've got a group of players that is effectively the same group of players that, like you say, conceded a barrel load of goals in League One, and you've been able to take them up to another division, adapt how they play, adapt how they are set up, so that you basically transform the team from a team that's winning 5-4 every week to a team that's winning 1-0 every week. Like, how do you do that with a group of players? How do you get them all to basically adapt in that one way and all to start playing in a unit that's completely opposite to the way it's been? I think that's, that speaks volumes about like Reese McCabe's ability, not so much as a manager, but as a coach above all else. And I just think like that's remarkable. I can't really think of any, any team that's been able to change its style so so much. I think it's still. I think they still retain a, a McCabe sort of style about them in terms of like a lot of passing football, younger players, like having a wee bit of pace about them as well. But I think to take a team in one season as a very young manager and turn it around to adapt to the different circumstances you find yourself in, like that's, that's incredible. That is genuinely incredible. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Do you think that Airdrie benefit from the fact that he is still playing at this moment in time? So you would imagine in terms of teams that might be interested in Rhys McCabe might be in the Premiership. Let's say it was bottom six. If a bottom six team was to come in for him, he probably wouldn't be able to play and he's still quite young. So do you think that could inf- do you think he could end up staying at Airdrie for more seasons because he's able to play because of his circumstances, I suppose, is what I'm asking. I think it'll depend on the opportunity that comes up. So if it's one, I assume he's absolutely deadly serious about a career in management. He's not just taking us on to kind of dip his toe in the water and see how it goes. And if he's not, then Reese, and you're listening, you should be. So say some like a, a really big job came up from, say, Hibs came up from. I don't think you say no to that. But say a less appealing job, you know, Livingston job came up. And you think, hmm, do I want to hang up the boots to go to that sort of level, to go to that sort of club where I'm probably backing myself if I'm him to get to, to have interest from the Premiership or maybe even from down south because he's obviously, he played down south for a bit but I would also look at that if I was you know, if I was involved in a team in League 1 or League 2 in England and I was just trying to look about for somebody new he's young enough, he's adaptable he's probably quite mouldable so he's obviously gone into Airdrie and they've been like I assume we're going down, we've given you this budget, we're going down this sort of younger player route and he's managed to adapt and mould himself to suit that. So I think it would depend on the job that came up. What I would say is that if he's serious about management, then I, I would think that it shouldn't because you go, right, well, you've maybe got, I mean, he could play on a fair bit, but you say realistically, probably going to be at his peak 33, 34, then you start to probably get over that sort of hump. I'd say he's maybe even a late developer in terms of how good he's gone on to be for a player for Airdrie. But once you're over that hump, you think, mm, am I going to sacrifice potentially the next 20, 30 years of my career just to keep kicking a ball about for a wee bit more? Probably not. But it might be a kind of useful excuse to convince himself to stay at Airdrie for a wee bit longer. Yeah, you're right. But I suppose it depends who comes in for him. But listen, if, if Airdrie continue in the same vein, then he will absolutely be uh, on shortlists for for clubs, certainly in, in Scotland's top flight and, and maybe even uh, down south. Uh, let's leave uh, Airdrie. Let's continue with the A theme. Scott Brown has recently been appointed the, the manager of A United. He had an excellent uh, result against uh, Queen's Park. Not, not necessarily a great performance against Queen's Park, nevertheless. Got three points against them. And then on Saturday, they lost 2 1 to Dungeon United. Might be the opposite. I, I, I thought they performed very well, uh, but, but ultimately got zero points. Good goal from, great goal actually from Jamie Murphy. And then, my goodness. Charlie Albinson should have done better with both goals from Tony Watt and Doherty. Were you surprised at the fact that, that Scott Brown has been appointed uh, the Air United manager? And I suppose, what do you expect from him going forward? I'd say I was surprised, but maybe I was surprised because it was Scott Brown. So if you, if you call him Scott Smith, and you say he's played, you know, you look solely at the managerial career, say this is what he did at Fleetwood, he'd be like, yeah, fair enough, going to a club like Air. So it was maybe I was drawn in a wee bit by the big name being Scott Brown and, you know, thinking he might he might be able to name his way into a Premier League job. You know, a bit like Kenny Miller did when he got the Livingston job. Just like name, use that name and get yourself a job. I think it's a very interesting appointment. I think it's time that Fleetwood was, was quite mixed. It wasn't a roaring success. It wasn't absolutely god-awful. It was just kind of kind of a wee bit mixed. It's also the second 
in a row, like really quite big name appointment that Air have made. Like getting Lee Bullen up when they did, I thought that was a great appointment. That obviously didn't didn't really work out. Well, it certainly didn't work out towards the end. He maybe showed flashes here and there that it looked like it was going to be better than it was, but it never felt fully convincing. And I thought that at the time, from reading everything Sheffield Wednesday fans were saying about his time as an interim manager there, time as a coach there, I thought it could be a really excellent appointment and it didn't work out. So I think I like the idea of Scott Brown as a manager, but I've absolutely no idea how it'll work out. Like no idea whatsoever because... I've not, I didn't see enough of his Fleetwood team or really a great deal at all other than looking at results and things like that to know if they were overperforming or underperforming or anything like that. But then you've also got to bear in mind he's dropped into Scottish Championship. So it's a completely different level. He's going to be working with a different calibre of players. He, he, he seems quite, quite impressive as a manager. Like the way he talks, I think his career speaks for itself. You'd also respect him instantly because of that. I think as a player, you'd be like, right, well, if I'm a 21-year-old centre midfielder and I can learn something from Scott Brown, like I'm, I, he can, I can just leech onto him and take all that knowledge that he's got. But then I think back to how things kind of ended at Aberdeen with him on the pitch there especially and think the going starts to get a wee bit tough at air like it did at Aberdeen. He didn't maybe look like the best sort of guy to have around the place. So I, I have no idea how that's going to go. And I'm really, really interested to find out, actually. No, no you're right. So I I was uh, surprised they ended up at Ayr, only because I thought he'd maybe try and hold out for a, a kind of bottom six team in, in the Premiership. You're right, uh, a Livingston or a, or a Ross County. But to be fair, he went down south, was prepared to go to, to Fleetwood, a team who, as far as I'm aware, their owner uh, went to jail, which is probably a red flag in terms of how how well he could do at that club. I, I, I do think there's also a, a suggestion that because of the type of player he is, or was rather, that he will just like kick arses. But I, I often thought that, that Scott Brown kind of played up to that, to that thing, that he was a hard man. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't a hard man. I wouldn't like to fall out with him. But I, I think it's quite a... a I think off the park, he's quite softly spoken, a wee bit more cerebral than he's that he's maybe maybe given credit for. That doesn't mean he's a, that doesn't mean he's a good manager. And I know there's only there's only two games uh, that he's been in charge of. I didn't think the the win over Queens Park was was a great performance against Dungeon United. However, I thought they played quite well. And in terms of if you feel, if you're looking for, I don't know, crumbs of comfort. I suppose, in, in terms of from Lee Bullen to, to, to Scott Brown, I, I, I thought Lee Bullen was very back to front. I didn't think his, his A United teams were particularly good to watch. Uh, I, I didn't think he was a great manager. Yes, it was good that he, he came in and he wasn't one of the usual names. It didn't work, ultimately. And eventually, I suppose, it didn't work. Against United, I thought that the, the the tempo about them was a wee bit more. I thought they played a wee bit more football than maybe they did under under Lee Bullen. And ultimately, I mean, if they had Logan Chalmers, who they couldn't play uh, because he is on loan from Dundee United, like they probably do have a, a decent forward line that can that can play football. So I'm interested to see how they do. The only thing that I, I would say in terms of a negative, I don't think it necessarily fixed anything in that that kind of January transfer window. That's that's not Scott Brown's fault. Like there, are, there are rumours that there is a an Air United team that looks after transfers. I don't know how it works, but ultimately, 
there's a lot of players left in January. A number of players, maybe half a dozen. And I'm not entirely sure the fix, the, the, the things that the A United need to get fixed. So, so Charlie Albinson, the goalkeeper, there's a suggestion. I've seen it mentioned a few times that he was on the, the, the better goalkeepers in the championship last season. I, I would thoroughly disagree. And in terms of the two goals that Dan United scored at, at the weekend, I, I thought it was dreadfully at fault for both. I mean, really, really poor. Uh, I, I think in the fullback position, they haven't addressed that. But I do think from maybe midfield to to up front. So if you have Jamie Murphy, who's got a brilliant goal from a, a set piece against Dun United, Anton Dowds, if you can get him scoring again, do think he's a decent championship forward. And uh, Logan Chalmers on the other side, that should be more than enough to, to keep him up. And then probably start again, ultimately, in the summer. Uh, I, I suspect that Scott Brown will, will steal them out of trouble. I don't think he'll finish in top four and it'll be interesting to see what he does from summer onwards. I'm interested as well to see how he deals with Aidan McGeady, who I think by all accounts looks completely done and yep. it might be a, a wee bit... Well, it'll be an interesting test of his man management because I assume that there's a personal relationship there from their time together at Celtic, I assume. It's not to say they get on, to be fair, but it might be one that's a wee bit awkward. I can imagine if you've got a player who maybe you've known since, you know, they're similar sort of ages and you've known since he was younger, you've maybe played alongside with him being quite established at Celtic, being one of the best players, to then have that conversation where you go, you're maybe not, not much used to me at this stage. Like mm-hmm. that, that's a, probably a horrible thing to do as a manager, for any manager, but especially when you are a wee bit younger and that'll be a, a test. And if he keeps playing McGeady or maybe starts starting him in games, I think there'll be a few Air fans going, Mm, has he got has he got the kind of minerals for this job that he's going to be hard enough on players who aren't his pals? Because I think that's one of the biggest things that gets managers, like younger managers especially, is when they sign a few players that maybe they have a personal relationship with and then they aren't able to drop them or discipline them or eventually cut ties with them because it's that blurred line where you've signed somebody who maybe is your pal or was your pal and it just becomes a wee bit a wee bit difficult. Certainly, like, Air fans would have had that with Mark Roberts. I think he signed a lot of players who were ex-teammates who were past it or who just weren't good, and that's ultimately why it didn't work for Mark Roberts. So that might be a wee interesting thing just to keep an eye on. So, so it's funny you should mention that because I was thinking something similar in terms of Aloha Athletic, who's the next team that we're about to look at, and uh, Andy Graham, who has been their manager since, uh, was it November? He, he was appointed. How do you think, because Craig Telfer uh, has worked with Andy Graham a, a, a few times, certainly met him a few times, and he has always been of the opinion that he would be a, a sterling manager. What about yourself? I, I would imagine that you have interviewed him a few times. How do you think he will do as a manager, and how do you think his uh, managerial career has, has started with Al? Have you, have you met Andy Graham before? No, but I only hear good things about him. Oh, he's just the most, the most brilliant guy. Like, I, I think Telfer probably will have told you as well. Just the most lovely, interesting, engaging, brilliant guy. Like, I, I, I wanted, or I wanted Andy Graham to be our next manager for a very long time. And then we had the, the Scottish Cup event that Craig Telfer hosted with yep. Andy Graham at The uh-huh. Rock. And, um, made a wee comment there. Somebody was like, I think they did audience questions and somebody put their hand up and was like, can you come back? And he was just like, oh, you know, like I'd kind of love to come back thing, something like that, you know, because his time at Dumbarton obviously was hugely, hugely successful for the club and for him personally. 
And I was like, make that man our next manager. Go on, like I want it more than anything. And then uh, about 10 days later, he was appointed Alawa boss. And I was I was really crestfallen. It was like, um, you know, at primary school, when the girl that you kind of fancy and you think you've been working on, and then she gets picked by one of your pals at the school disco. That's how I felt. That, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And that is, that is a real, uh, that is a real kind of gut punch. How, how have you... What have you thought about his initial time at Alwa? Because I remember like his first game was a three 0 defeat against Edinburgh, and I was like, my goodness, that is, let, let, I mean, literally, it, it could not have started uh, any more poorly. However, since then, I think it's uh, I think it's four wins, three draws, and maybe two defeats. And the two defeats were against Motherwell and Falkirk. They're now I think a point behind Montrose, who who are fourth. So it seems that he certainly, I mean, it's not that Alawa were doing dreadfully. I think what I would say about Brian Riggs in, in terms of what Alawa fans would say about him, that doesn't seem to be a, a, a settled starting 11. That doesn't seem to be a, a, a settled playing style. Another thing I would say about Brian Riggs is I, and, and you would probably know better than me, arguably, I, I never thought he came across that pleasantly in terms of post-game interviews. And I, I, I do think if, that, if that's all you have about you in terms of lambasting players, in terms of trying to get a performance, and, and maybe that isn't the case, but I just think Andy Graham comes across so well, I would imagine players would want to play for Andy Graham and want to, to, to give a, a brilliant performance for Andy Graham more than they would for, for Brian Riggs. I, I, I don't know. That's that's certainly how I would feel. Like, see, so for the Dumbarton 150th stuff, I interviewed him because I was going to kind of players who had played a key part in that and he was obviously captain in the championship years. See, writing up his interview, I wanted him to be happy with it, like more than anybody. <laughs> I wanted him to see it and be like, he's done a really good job there. So I absolutely get that. I think his, his start's been, been very solid. It's maybe mm-hmm. not been blowing people away or anything like that, but it's been pretty solid, um, which is probably what a club like Alawa should be at. I think what he'll be really good at, like you say, is I think he'll bring everyone together. I think he'll bring players together. I think he'll bring the fans together. I think everyone will buy into it. The Alawa squad this season is is quite good, but I don't think it's anything special. I will be really interested to see the business he does over the summer because I think there'll be a lot of players who will sign for an Andy Graham team. Maybe, like I said, it could be that difficult one where he's going to be signing players who have been teammates. But I can imagine if you're a young player, maybe you don't know him, like personally, you've not played with him or anything. You sit down, you talk to that man for half an hour and then tell me you don't want to sign for his team mm-hmm. because I think he will be so, so good. And I know that was the kind of role Jack Ross had when he was at Dumbarton, that he could basically sell players this dream because he was such a good talker. Like I really would get players to buy into what he was selling. And I just think that's where Andy Graham will, will excel. And I'm really interested. I think this season they could finish top four. They might not. They won't go down or anything. There's no danger of that. So it becomes a case of him learning and then identifying targets, which I don't doubt he's already doing and building for next season. And I'd be really, really interested to see how they go. And, and I do think it's interesting as well in terms of, so, so based on that 3-2 win uh, against Annan at the, at the weekend, you look at who, at who started and you look at who was on the bench. And I would imagine if you are a, if you're a new manager who is essentially feeling their way into the management game, and based on the fact that, like Brian Riggs, maybe didn't have a, a kind of definitive start in eleven, and didn't have a definitive style of play. There's a lot of experienced players at Alloa, and if 
if Andy Graham was going to go down that route of having, right, here's my starting 11, here's how I'm going to play, I've got loads of experienced players, it's easier maybe to play them than leave them on the bench. However, that, that isn't what he was doing. So based on, on Saturday, you had Connor Salmon was on the bench, Ali Roy was on the bench, Luke Donnelly was on the bench, Kevin Colley was on the bench, John Robertson was on the bench. They have been the kind of mainstay of, of Alawa for a long time. Whereas you had Bobby Wales leading the line up front, 18 on loan from Kamarnock, scored two goals. Taylor Stephen, 19, wide right. You had Ethan Sutherland, uh, 17, playing in the team. So it feels like he is quite happy to make difficult decisions, even though he's only, I'm saying it's difficult decisions, I'm kind of guessing, but he's only a couple of months into his managerial tenure and he isn't afraid to make decisions, I think is what I'm, I'm trying to get at. I think the big thing as well is that players will probably accept being dropped or not being in the starting lineup if they feel they can talk to the manager about it mm -hmm. and if he can explain why or explain what they need to do to maybe get themselves back in the team and that sort of thing. And I imagine he's very, I mean, like you can see from his post-match straight away, like he's a very good communicator. He's been club captain. He's been captain at uh, Dumbarton before that. He's been, I think, captain Sterling Albion before that as well. So he's somebody who's clearly got very good personal skills. And you feel like if you go and knock on Andy Graham's door and you say, Gaffer, how come I'm not starting or what do I need to do? He'll maybe sit down and he'll break it down to you. Say, this is what I'm looking for from you. You know, this guy's playing at the moment, but if his form tails off, I would need you to be on this in training and this in training and you'll get yourself back in that starting lineup. I feel like he'll be very, he'll be a very good man manager. I feel like I'm, I'm just being proper lovely to him. But I mean, just in the times I've met him and the times I've spoken to him, like everything about him suggests that I would like to work for him. Like if my editor left tomorrow and they said Andy Graham's coming in, he's never edited a newspaper before. <laughs> but but like he, he's got the job for some for some reason. Your editor's gone off to manage Aloha Athletic. Um, Andy Graham's got the job. I feel like I could phone him up and talk to him about it, and and we'd be on the same page by the end of that phone call, which was a journalism related pun as well. And unless he replaced you with a teenager, I mean that would be frustrating. Yeah, but I feel like he could explain it, and I'd be like, you know what, you're right. This teenager's much better than me. So that's absolutely fine. He brings in Bobby Wales and it turns out he's really good at writing. Just writes well, listen, great, great court copy. Well, listen, I, I suppose I, I suppose there's been one big managerial appointment this uh, this week and we, we need to discuss it. Uh, of course, uh, East Fife, so Greg McDonald uh, resigned on, I think it was Monday evening. And then by Tuesday evening, uh, Dick Campbell was appointed as the East Fife manager. What do you make of the, the last few days in Methyl? This has been a long time coming, hasn't it? I think everybody knew. I mean, I actually feel really sorry for Greg McDonald, first of all, because I've only met him a couple of times post-match and he's been a lovely guy, like a really, mm -hmm. really pleasant person to talk to. And I know that all these Fife fans have said the same, you know, just a really stand-up guy. Now, when Dumbarton played East Fife, I think it was the first, yeah, it must have been the first game of 2024. Uh, the talk from people at Dumbarton who'd been talking to people at East Fife, I don't know if it was pals, directors, sponsors, players, whoever, was that if East Fife had lost that game, then Greg McDonald was getting punted and Dick Campbell was getting the job. Now, if I knew about that a month ago, Greg McDonald must have been kind of walking about with this spectre, kind of hanging over him, knowing yeah. that Dick Campbell was coming in. But I also think, if you're East Fife, it's a, and Dick Campbell is interested in your job, if you're any League 2 club, or League 1 club to a degree as well, but any League 2 club, and Dick Campbell's maybe been sounded out and said, yeah, I'd be interested in the job. 
you're you're going to take him up on that offer, aren't you? I mean, the only thing for me would be how how motivated is he? Because what he's achieved with our growth, he's probably not going to achieve with East Fife in terms of getting them to the heights of the championship. Like that was a a remarkable achievement. Will there be part of the motivation where it's almost like, well, I've compl- I've completed it. Like maybe the motivation goes a wee bit. I don't know. Uh, and the other thing is, how much has that got to his head? Because I thought Dick Campbell, towards the end of his time at Arbroath, came across as quite unlikable. Like He came across as a, a wee bit of a know-it-all. And I know, certainly towards the end of last season, with the kind of not playing Bobby Lynn and then hooking him and getting berated by the crowd, felt like he felt he was maybe, I was going to say smarter than the club or smarter than the crowd. Probably is smarter than the crowd. That's why he's a manager and we all pay to get in. But he maybe started to believe a wee bit of hype about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's almost like that thing that the only thing that can maybe hold back Dick Campbell is Dick Campbell here. But if I was an East Fife fan, I would be absolutely delighted. None of those thoughts would have entered my head and I'd possibly be starting to look, thinking, could we sneak that fourth place? No, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I do think that on paper, it's probably the best appointment that, that East Fife could have made. Not just because of his track record, but in terms of the fact that it, it's felt like like even when Darren Young was a manager, it's, it's just felt like they've been going backwards for a, a number of years now. And of course, if you continue to go backwards when you're in League Two, there, there is a trap door there. But now it, it feels like that they have somebody who can kind of gather a wee bit of momentum and, and ultimately lead them away from the trap door and, and potentially lead them up with divisions. Like I, I do genuinely think that that is the case. It, it was interesting in terms of I don't watch too many managerial interviews because they're genuinely formulaic, I suppose. And I normally will watch them if we are going to talk about a specific team on the lower league podcast. So I've listened to Greg McDonald a couple of times. Always thought he was somebody who came across, regardless of how East Fife performed or their results, always thought he came across very positively. I, I would say on the back of that 1-0 defeat against Elgin that, that occurred at the at the weekend. And I know it's been a long journey. It might have been that he, for a number of reasons, has been stressed or didn't get a good sleep. It might have been nothing to do with with, uh, with that 1-0 defeat. But he, he, he looked shattered on, on Saturday in his post-game interview. And he spoke about the fact that they... Regardless of the the one 0 defeat to Elgin, Elgin have a, a brilliant home record this season, so that's it's hardly the worst result in the world. But result uh, performance wise, I mean, East Fife are dreadful. So, so probably like you spoke about the fact that when you have a game where you have two teams where maybe the quality isn't great, the second ball is vital. So you have to win tackles, you have to win second balls, and based on that kind of eleven minute highlights package. East Fife won almost none. They maybe had like a 15 minute spell in the, set, in the first half where they'd done okay. But although I feel sorry for them, it kind of felt like the time was right. And if East Fife, if the East Fife board knew that Dick Campbell was, was available, then it makes a lot of sense. What I would say is the, the graphic that they used to announce him uh, was, was very much photoshopped. He looks a lot younger in, in, that, in, in, that, uh, in, in that image. Another thing, See if Greg McDonald resigned on Monday evening and Dick Campbell was uh, appointed on Tuesday. How come they have Dick Campbell flat caps available to buy in the East Five Club shop? I, it feels I, like it feels like this has been lined up for a while. 
I would love to know and I know that there's somebody who'll be listening to this podcast who's connected with these five and follows me on Twitter who might be able to tell us how long ago they were ordered in so if he does want to then you know the identity will remain secret and I will share it with Sean and nobody else but yeah you would imagine that it's maybe not that easy to get branded bonnets in uh, within three hours of appointing Dick Campbell Listen, I've never done it. I've never tried to, to buy branded bonnets. It may be easy. It may be an absolute doddle. I, I was surprised. That, that's all I'm saying. If, if you're Greg McDonald, you're kind of looking at that and going, mm. <laughs> no wonder he looks so shattered. No wonder he was so gutted at, at the weekend. <laughs> like, they must have had everything. They were just waiting on the bonnets being delivered so they could finally sack him, <laughs> put him out of his misery. They've told him weeks ago, like, Greg, once these get delivered, like, you're gone. And he's just like, oh, I had to traipse all the way up to Elgin to play my final game. I couldn't have been appointed last weekend. Poor Greg. But, but listen, see in terms of the, see in terms of League 2, I mean, I suppose he's Pfeiffer in the, the kind of relegation equation. But I, I mentioned last week that I still thought that as much as Clyde you know, left it late to, to, to bulk up their squad, I suppose, I still thought there was a chance. What are you thinking in terms of the the, the, the bottom of League 2? I mean, like, Bonnerig beat uh, Elgin on Tuesday evening, so we, we could probably discount uh, Bonnerig. I don't think Bonnerig are, are particularly good. However, they, they surely have enough to, to, to keep themselves away from that uh, 10th position. I think it's one of the most, sorry, I think it's one of the most interesting divisions. Not the top, the top's basically done. But just yeah. that relegation battle, when you consider what's at stake, like, I... I change every week who I think is going to finish bottom, and but really, like like yeah. like Clyde did. So so I know I know I, I kind of stuck up for Clyde last week, uh, but then that that kind of like Barry that I quite enjoyed that uh, that well, saying I enjoyed, I enjoyed the commentary from the game against Peterhead, the the brilliant goal from from Barry Cuddy to to give them a one 0 lead against Peterhead. Enjoyed the commentator saying it was a, a daisy cutter even though it's on a kind of 4G park. Can you have a daisy cutter on an artificial pitch? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But however, that, I, I mean, they, they, they should have finished Peterhead. I, I mean, they should, have, they should have been two or three goals ahead before Peterhead got that penalty in the, in the last minute. But the problem, the problem that, that, that Clyde have is that as much as they are, are kind of drawn games, and not necessarily losing games anymore, but everybody else is kind of picking up points. Stranraer are drawn games. Forfara are winning games. And like, like everybody else is generally picking up points. Nobody is on a terrible run. So this Saturday's game against Stranraer is is absolutely vital. I think if they don't win it, they are they are snookered. So you still think that other clubs are above where they are can get sucked in. Yeah, and I think the weird thing is that basically since Ian McCall came in, I have said to myself, Clyde won't finish bottom, and then I change the team. I think will finish bottom pretty much every week, like I said, but I still ignore Clyde. But they've not actually won very... I think they've won one or two games under McCall. They have drawn a few and there's yeah. certainly a few in there that should have been wins. But, you know, McCall hasn't maybe turned it around as quickly as I would have expected and he's not addressed the major, major issue, which is their goalkeeping situation. Yeah. So they've got now a decent amount going forward, like Jordan Allen, Jay's Caballa, uh, Martin Rennie's a pretty effective League 2 player, Connor Young looks like he's quite lively, uh, Kean Leslie out wide has got kind of something about him. They've got decent midfield. Well, Alex King's a good player, Barry Cuddehy on the kind of 12 games a season or whatever that he's fully fit for. He's a very good player in League 2. Like, there's a decent amount of quality there. They've strengthened at centre-half, like Lee Hamilton coming in, really big addition for them, really important. This week they signed Cammy Ballantyne, Cammy F. Ballantyne, on loan from St. Johnson. And I looked at that and thought, 
that's an astonishing signing for a team yeah. bottom of League Two. Like they can't possibly finish bottom. And then you look at the league table and you go, oh, like it's going to be a bit of a slog. What I think will still happen is I can see Stranar being very much sucked in. I don't think they have the resources, but they don't have the resources that Clyde have. They've got a younger manager. I can see Forfer being sucked in. They've got, they're kind of fine defensively and then just have so, so little going forward. Uh, I could have seen East Fife being drawn in up until the Dick Campbell appointment. I think they'll be fine now. I could have seen Bonnie Rigg getting drawn in. See, if Bonnie Rigg hadn't won last night, I would have said, I think Bonnie Rigg are in a real relegation battle just because I think the teams like East Fife will improve. Elgin, Elgin have improved a lot under Alan Hale since he came in. But the big thing that lets them down and the big reason why I can't overlook Elgin for bottom is the fact that they have one point away from home all yeah. season. The last, But they do have a fantastic home record. But they're excellent at home. But I look at it and go, you cannot stay up. You'd see if they get one more point. So they get two points away from home all season. Like, you can't stay up getting two points away from home all season. I, I'm sure you can't. That's the one thing that, <laughs> that just keeps playing on my mind. Like, surely you can't stay up with one point or two points away from home. But I do think they're a lot stronger. So I wonder if we might see Stranar or Forfer, one of those two, just getting dragged into it a wee bit more. And you end up with a club who maybe find themselves bottom with three games to play and go, hang on a minute, we've not been in this situation and they just aren't capable of turning it around. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think uh, whether or not Stranar are in bother this season, and I, I, I do think they are. The problem Clyde have is they almost need to have promotion winning form to escape relegation. And bear in mind, they've only won two league games this season. That might be beyond them. However, I, I do fully appreciate that there's been a massive turnover in the squad. So as much as they've only won two league games, this squad hasn't won two league games, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I, I expect them to improve. Another thing is, when you look at the teams that have been relegated from League Two, it's generally been the teams that have the worst attendances in Scottish football. Like maybe, like maybe Brechin and Berwick were, were outliers, but again, they were. There wasn't too many teams in League Two that had poorer attendances, and actually, some of the teams that did have poorer attendances, Albion Rovers, Cairnmeath, they've been relegated. Uh, East Stirling, one of the poorest attendances in Scotland, they got relegated. I, the, the problem with Stranraer is they. Like, I appreciate that the that the attendances in, in League Two aren't strong. They're a good couple of hundred behind the, everybody else. So even if... I think Stranraer could get drawn into it. And even if they don't this season, they would still be my team that I would be worried about going forward in terms of how do they... A, how do they stay up? And B, ultimately, they'll probably need to attract more fans. And I, and, and I don't know how to do that. I probably went off on a tangent there, but regardless, I think if Clyde are going to drag anybody else in, and I think they can, because I think they now have a far better squad than they did at the start of the season, Strun rather the ones that, that probably have the most to worry about. Here's the thing that interests me as well, is if Clyde finish bottom, I probably back them to win the playoffs with that squad, with that manager, right? If Strunar finish bottom, I don't. If Forfer finish bottom... Ooh, not sure. If Elgin finish bottom, hmm, not sure. Just, I have a belief, I have a trust in Ian McCall and I have a trust in that squad of players that I go, that'll hold too good to go down thing, which is maybe really daft given how few games they've actually won. But I just feel, and I've been waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to happen, that they're going to hit 
They're going to hit form. It's going. They're going to win one game, and it might be a fluky. It could have been at the weekend if they'd beaten Peterhead. If they'd held on for thirty more seconds and beaten Peterhead, maybe that would have started the run. But I just feel like once they do start winning games, and once McCall's got the new players all settled in, like that's a that's a really capable squad. I mean, if they can add a goalkeeper, I'll be even more confident in that fact. But that's a really capable squad for League Two, and it certainly shouldn't be finishing bottom. I mean, you compare the the money that they must have spent, the resources they've got with Stranar, with, well, I was going to say with Forfar. Forfar have had a kind of strange local approach to players this season. But with Stranar, certainly, or with previous teams that have gone down, like that Clyde team should be should be miles ahead. But then again, Albion Rovers went down with Charlie Riley and Joe Bevan. And 38 points. I mean, I mean, yeah. 38 points was a, a decent points total, but they still they still went down. So I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I wonder how Jimmy Chu of, of Pine Buffalo rates their chances poorly, I, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter who they're playing, he won't back them to get a result. Like they could come up, <laughs> East Kilbride could get a dodgy batch of lasagna or whatever it was that hit Tottenham years ago. East Kilbride would go into it with like nine players and they're all under 20s and he would be, uh, this is going to be the darkest day in the history of the club, I won't be back to support and all this sort of stuff. Just one of the most tedious posters on that website. I, I've muted him and it's made uh, it's made the, the Clyde Forum much more, uh, much more agreeable. Uh, I quite enjoy it now. Yeah, I, I, they're actually... You see, when you come down to League Two, it won't have been something you've experienced, and I wouldn't wish it on you uh, because it's a it's an unpleasant experience. You go down to League Two, there's not a lot going on in that forum, so it's been quite nice having Clyde there, who actually have quite a few fans on Pine Bovril. And when we've got a match thread, it goes over like two pages. It's quite nice. I'm sure if you were to to point out to to, to Clyde fans about how it's great to have them in the the League Two forum, then they'll they really take that's a positive. So so well done. Yeah, but listen, Fraser, I, I think, is there anything else you want to, to discuss about uh, League 2 at this moment in time? Stennis Muir have won the title? It, it's looking awful like it. Good, I, we don't I, need I, to I say so. any more about that, because um, nah. Craig Telfer will be back and he'll talk about that. But, no, they've, yeah. they've won it, haven't they? But yeah. no, fair play though. Yeah, but listen, Fraser, uh, thanks for your time, and uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a quip. Like uh, Craig Telfer says, uh, enjoy your, your football uh, respectfully. I don't have a quip, just, uh, j- just, just take care, I suppose is what I'm going to say. Podcast Network.